Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 3rd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news and also talk about season four of Better Call Saul. Uh, this is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me at today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, how have you guys been? Good. Good? I, I saw Chris his name was mentioned kind of in a mission impossible fallout tv spot i mean i saw the the, the back half of your name the first half was you know, covered by this gigantic skyscraper that tom cruise was running on how cool is yes. that yeah that uh that blew my mind i mean i i've had a few uh pull quotes before but this is i think the first one <laughs> that was ever like actual like footage in a trailer and actually had the, the booming narrator guy reading the quote, like that's never happened to me before. So <laughs> it, it blew my mind. And of course I love the movie. So just, you know, seeing that, uh, got me excited. So thank you. Mission impossible. <laughs> um, you know, you know, it's always cooler when it's like that 3d type, like inserted into the world in some way. Um, I think people might be interested to hear like, you know, how does this stuff happening? How does this stuff occur? Like, uh, Chris, did you submit this quote or was this just in your review? Like how do, how does your quote go from the site to the, you know, to the TV? Well, they cut me a check. No, I'm kidding. That does not happen. Um, so uh, it, it varies. Every once in a while, like a PR person will reach out to me and say, you know, can we use this quote? Like um, a bunch of the films I saw at TIFF last year, the PR people reached out to me, like Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. I got a quote on that. And uh, the death of Stalin. Like those people actually reached out and said, can we use this quote? But this film, they did not reach out to me, which is fine. I'm not going to. 
I know may, someone might be upset about this, but not me. I'm fine with it. But so I, I think it depends on the film. Like, you know, th- those TIFF films, they were small independent films. So maybe they feel more uh, concerned about permission. But, you know, Mission Impossible is this huge million dollar franchise. So they probably don't care about who they ask permission from. So, yeah, that's how that's how it happens. You know, my experience is the same thing that typically it is like kind of like the the small to mid budget films that they ask for permission, probably because, the, you know, they're more concerned about that. But the big budget films are like, they're not going to sue us. Who cares? <laughs> uh, and also, you know, sometimes they'll email us to ask permission if they want to like shorten like two different like statements into kind of like a uh what do you want to call that like a franken sentence yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Usually, yeah that that's happened to me too where like they'll want to like change a, a word or two and you know i'm usually okay with it unless it's like it's never happened but if, it, if something emailed me and asked me to change it like drastically i'd probably be like well wait a second but if it's like one word that's fine yeah and ben your name has appeared all over a bunch of trailers recently because of sundance yeah yeah um yeah i was i was on a a streak there it was like almost every movie that i saw at sundance this year it's been insane this is like the most that i've ever been quoted in my life this year i think uh from from that batch of movies um and and sort of interestingly uh, piggybacking off of that uh, what you guys were just talking about in terms of like uh the studios reaching out to change a word earlier this year I tweeted about Annihilation and said that uh, it will be hailed as a masterpiece. And Paramount reached out and they were like, hey, can we cut off the it will be hailed as of your (laughs) thing and just have you saying it's a masterpiece? And this was like right after I saw the movie for the first time and I was sort of like still stunned by it and not quite sure what I felt about the movie overall. I was just like, I know that people are going to love this, but I'm not quite sure that I do yet. Yeah. And of course, I, I do now. And, it, you know, it just took a little while for me to sort of wrap my brain around that movie. So I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. I'm, I'm not OK <laughs> with that. Like, I don't, is that fine? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. We'll just keep it as is. But, you know, I think they were just like it would be much more impactful for them if it could have just been like a masterpiece. So, yeah. yeah. Oftentimes, like these pull quotes that appear on like the, the advertising come from like they'll have a junket screening like two or three weeks out from when the movie hits theaters. And it's usually that junket press that like when press go to these junkets, which are held at hotels, like there'll be a piece of paper there. Like, do you want to submit a quote um, to be potentially used in advertising? And uh, a lot of the quotes come from that. Some of which, like if you ever spent the time (laughs) Uh, to like actually search some of these quotes that are in some of these uh, TV ads, they don't exist online anywhere in any like you know written form because you know they were submitted from from someone. They actually do exist. It's how that person from that outlet feels about the film, but they submitted it on a form at a junket. And uh, lately, also, uh, you know, I don't write a lot of reviews for the site outside of film festivals. You know, I, I'll see one of those early junket screenings and I'll tweet about it, and we'll we'll do that those tweet round ups those early buzz articles and uh lately you know studios have been kind of taking those quotes and attributing them to the site and uh which i don't mind because you know i said it and i you know run slash home so it, it, it's fine <laughs> um but uh yeah so some so it, it, it's interesting i i think a lot of people out there when they see these quotes like when they see chris's quote on the mission impossible tv spot they they, they do wonder like do they pay you and uh they don't 
we, we have made no money from any of these quotes. Uh, yes, absolutely not. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, I just thought that was an interesting discussion that people would find uh, fascinating. Uh, let's let's jump into the news. Let's start out with the uh, the Grudge remake, which uh, apparently might not happen. It, it might be cursed with a lawsuit. Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Oh, uh, yeah. So as you may or may not know, there's a, a whole slew of films called, uh, centered around The Grudge. It started off with um, Juwan, and then it became The Grudge remake. And, uh, you, know, the, you know, there's already been an American Grudge remake starring Sarah Michelle Gellar. And now they're making another one. Uh, this one is just called uh, Grudge. They've, they've dropped the the because it's cleaner. And um, what's going on now is... Uh, the producers of the of the of the original franchise, pretty much all the producer of all the original films, um, his name is Taka Taka Ichi. I'm I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering that name, and I apologize. But um, he's produced all the original films, and he he basically has a, a deal in his contract where he should be able to he wants to be able to be listed as a producer on all future Grudge films, and for some reason. This grudge remake has cut him out, and uh, so now he's taking him to court, basically, to try and figure out why this happened. And it, it seems very strange, because this seems like something that could have been very easily resolved with just, like, a conversation. But I guess, for some reason, the people handling the new grudge remake wanted to cut him out. And again, he's been involved with the franchise since the beginning, so it's just... It's a strange situation, and you know, hopefully, and, and, it'll get... it, it should be mentioned that some, a lot of times with this kind of thing, I don't know about in this scenario, but when someone is giving that kind of uh, legacy producer credit, like it's not like they are on the movie set producing the movie. It's kind of like a credit in a paycheck, right? right? And that that that's really what this is too. Like, it's not even that he wants to actively be involved with the film. He just really just wants that credit, and you know, I'm sure a check too. And again. You know, this is his baby. He's been involved with it since the beginning. So it's very weird that they would just cut him out. And, you know, this seems like something that can get resolved quickly. But for now, you know, there's a lawsuit and we'll have to see what comes of it. If this lawsuit prevents us from getting a, another Grudge remake, uh, are, are we worse because of it? Like, are we really losing something here? You know, it, it's... It's weird because, you know, when they first announced this, I was like, oh, I don't care. But the guy directing it, his name is Nicholas Pesci. Um, he directed a film called The Eyes of My Mother, which is this indie horror film. And that's one of like the, the creepiest horror movies I've ever seen. So the fact that he's directing this has me interested in it. But at the same time, you know, this isn't like at the top of my must-see list. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to a movie called Meet Jimmy, which I guess is a, Paramount has greenlit, and it's a horror film about a killer podcast. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so a pair of Dutch filmmakers, director David Jan Bronsgeest and writer Tim Kuman, made this short film called Meet Jimmy, and it debuted at a film festival earlier this year, and almost immediately it seems like a bunch of studios uh, basically went after the rights to this thing so they could turn it into a full feature, and Paramount ended up scoring the rights to it, and Deadline says that the plot is about a mysterious podcast that once listened to has horrific consequences, and I uh, uh, that's basically all they had, but I, I sort of did a little digging on my own, and I couldn't find the actual short film posted anywhere online, but 
I found a video that has a few clips from the short in it. So I, I've embedded that in the article at Slash Film. If you guys are interested, you can check that out. And uh, on the writer's website, I, I found a description of the short and translated that from Dutch. So I'll read that to you guys now. Meet Jimmy is about Jennifer, a young woman who is listening to a podcast about the notorious serial killer Jimmy Two Fingers. He killed his victims by putting their fingers in their throats and letting them gag until they suffocated. Despite the warning at the beginning of the episode, she turns on the podcast while she's waiting for her uh, laundry in a laundromat. Slowly, she gets the idea that Jimmy knows that she is listening and that he has influence on the environment in which she finds herself. So it sounds like sort of a... um, uh, a creepy uh, and, and you know looking at a couple of the clips that I found embedded in this video it, it's basically like this girl is in a laundromat listening to this podcast and the the serial killer that she's listening uh, to this show about ends up coming after her so um, it, it's not necessarily that the podcast itself uh, you know <laughs> that becomes sentient and somehow kills her although that would be a pretty amazing so, twist so it's more but, of a warning like she learned about this and then she kind of sees it coming Yes. I think, yeah, I think she slowly realizes that, um, you know, it's that like the killer's inside the house, basically, like it's one of those kinds of situations. And it's sort of being uh, compared to the ring a little bit. And I can I can see why, you know, the the imagery in the short, uh, there's a one point, there's a shot where the girl um, opens up her laundry machine and pulls out uh a bunch of slick black hair that looks very much like the hair in uh, in um, the ring. So uh, yeah, Paramount apparently is looking at this as a, a potential franchise starter, um, and it would be the latest in a long line of short films that received the full feature treatment horror movies. Uh, you know, like Lights Out and uh, The Babadook and Mama and Oculus. All of those started as short films. So um, yeah, this one sounds kind of interesting. You know, if you told me five years ago that Hollywood would be adapting podcasts into movies and they would have movies about podcasts, I I would have not believed you. But like this movie (laughs) seems so in the now. And I I almost wonder, like, you know, if this does end up getting made, you know, in 10 years, will people even know what a podcast is? Like, will this even be relevant or will it be like, you know, one of those you know, will we look back on it and it's like one of those movies from like the 80s where they have like one of those, you know, huge cell phones. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think they, they've been around. The medium has been around for long enough now and it doesn't show any sign of, of slowing down. So I think podcasts are probably here to yeah. stay. So at least if nothing else, it'll be an interesting snapshot into this era. Ho- hopefully, Ben, or we're doing this or nothing. So, uh, okay, let's move on to Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, apparently, you know, a, a couple of days ago, we learned that the uh, Episode Nine would be using footage of Carrie Fisher from Star Wars: The Force Awakens, unused footage, and now we have learned that they might also utilize footage from Last Jedi. Uh, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, as you said, Peter, you know, the initial announcement only mentioned The Force Awakens, but uh, now, um, you know, I'll preface this by saying this is not 100% confirmed. It, it's it's coming from a source of another source. It's like coming, se- not even secondhand, but thirdhand. So um, a reporter was on a, uh, a the Star Wars Newsnet podcast, and this reporter who's from uh, ABC News, he says he talked to Carrie Fisher's brother, Todd Fisher, and Todd Fisher told him that they're also going to use 
unused last Jedi footage. Um, Todd Fisher didn't, you know, of course, specify what that footage might be. And we really have no idea how much footage there even is of Carrie Fisher that hasn't been used. But that's the. Um, well, actually, yeah. uh, not to well, actually, Chris. But okay. I remember uh, after, uh, but I am, uh, but I remember after uh, Last Jedi hit theaters, Ryan Johnson was asked about this, or specifically, like, well, do they have any unused footage that could be used for episode nine? And at the time, I remember him saying that there was very little, like, like minuscule footage that could be used. Um, but that doesn't mean that this report is bunk. Like, you know, uh, he's talking about footage they shot for the actual film. And I, I theorized with you guys in the Slash Film uh, Slack channel that maybe, you know, maybe J.J. Abrams isn't just using, you know, deleted scenes from Force Awakens and Last Jedi. Maybe, you know, there was behind the scenes camera people on the set of both of those movies shooting b-roll shooting you know carrie fisher in full costume talking to other actors interacting with other actors in costumes on sets and whatever uh maybe uh and this sounds like the most jj abrams thing ever especially if you've seen you know his ted talk and just like the mind of jj abrams maybe he is going to be using all that including you know including you know adring lines from carrie fisher from like you know maybe even original trilogy in there and using insert shots to like all combine into a way that it, it brings like some kind of you know arc for her in this last uh film in the skywalker saga to me that sounds like the most jj abrams thing ever um but uh what do you guys think like do you think like there's gonna be more than a scene or two of carrie fisher like i, I feel like i'd be shocked if there really are and, and, and if it uh you know does give her some kind of significant arc in this final story what do you what are your thoughts uh, I was thinking, yeah, like two scenes and out, and and there there probably isn't enough footage there for them to make any sort of meaningful arc. But I, I do kind of like your idea, Peter. Maybe they could use B-roll footage to just have her in the background of other scenes, you know, like wandering around, talking to people and stuff. So it's sort of like her presence would be felt a little bit, even if she's not, uh, you know, at the forefront of a scene. But I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I really don't know. You know, before this was announced, I was, you know, convinced uh, she wouldn't even be in the movie. So now that, you know, ever since this news broke, I've been very um, intrigued. I mean, you know, I, I have faith in J.J. Abrams. I'm sure he'll figure out a way to make it work. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm much happier they're going this way than, you know, creating like a digital Carrie Fisher. Because, you, know, you know, I know they've done that before. They actually did it in... Uh, Rogue One at the end there's a digital yeah. Carrie Fisher and it looks really weird and I don't like it and, and I, I feel like and they I had done they that said, for this I think they Sorry. said that they aren't going to create a digital Carrie Fisher even for like an you know an insert shot or anything yeah in the in the the statement about this J.J. Abrams flat out says you know we're not doing a digital version and I'm I'm happy they're they're not doing that because I just think it would be weird and kind of distasteful so if they have to have her in the film this is the best way to do it yeah, I think if you hear back to like even the stories from Force Awakens where, uh, you know, J.J. and Bad Robot were able to take like, you know, quotes from Alec Guinness from, I think, A New Hope and like edit together two words to form, you know, a new sentence that, you know, was in Ray's force back. It, it just sounds like the kind of puzzle 
that it would intrigue a person like J.J. Abrams. And I also, you know, since thinking about the B-roll footage, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, that resistance base that she was shooting her scenes in Force Awakens. They could CG the background. You know, that can be done. All you got to do is, uh, you know, it's a painstaking process. If you don't have green screen, you got to, like, go frame by frame to, uh, you know, basically outline the person and, you know, remove them from that and put them into someplace else. But it's possible. So I'm I'm wondering what's going to come of this. Uh, But let's move on to uh, the TCAs. There's some news out of the TCAs about Fargo Season 4. Uh, which is very intriguing. Apparently, it's going to star Chris Rock and be set in the 1950s in Kansas City. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, the official synopsis for season four of Fargo was released from uh, FX this morning, and I'll just read you guys a condensed version of it. In 1950, at the end of two great American migrations, you saw a collision of outsiders all fighting for a piece of the American dream. In Kansas City, Missouri, two criminal syndicates have struck an uneasy peace, one Italian, one African-American. Together, they control an alternate economy. That of exploitation, graft, and drugs. This, too, is the history of America. To cement their peace, the heads of both families have traded their eldest sons. Chris Rock plays the head of one family, a man who, in order to prosper, has surrendered his oldest boy to his enemy and who must, in turn, raise his son's enemy as... Wait, yeah, raise his enemy's son, I think, as his own. It's an uneasy piece, but profitable. And then the head of the Kansas City Mafia goes into the hospital for routine surgery and dies. And everything changes. It's a story of immigration and assimilation and the things we do for money. And as always, a story of basically decent people who are probably in over their heads. You know, Fargo. So that's the official synopsis. Uh, this sounds pretty great. I mean, I, Fargo is one of my favorite shows on TV. Um, it's always, you know, gorgeously shot and has a fantastic cast of actors. And Chris Rock being added to this cast as one of the leads is like, I, I never would have imagined that he would have been a part of this show. Um, I'm very curious to see like what kind of accent he <laughs> he has, if any. And uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm very stoked about this, uh, Peter. I know you're a big fan of the show too, right? Yeah, I'm also a big fan of the show. I I do think I I do have a very uh, I, I hold season one in very high esteem. I, I did like, uh, you know, the last two seasons, but uh, not as much, even though they were great. And uh, this sounds, you know, this show seems to be evolving in such a weird and crazy way. I guess like, much like the show. Uh, Chris, you're, you're also a fan of Fargo, right? I, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I think it's, the the acting is great. The direction is great, but what bugs me is that it's like a Coen Brothers greatest hits, hits thing where they're constantly referencing Coen Brothers films, and it just makes me wish I were just watching a Coen Brothers film. So it, it sort of like it irks me ever so slightly. <laughs> I can see that. I can totally see that. But uh, it's going to be interesting with Chris Rock. Uh, I, I can't wait to see the trailer and see what this is about and learn more. But let's move on to another story, which we talked about, I think, last week. Jacob was talking about this uh, this article about McDonald's. Or actually, was it this week on this week's Water Cooler? I think it was. Uh, mm-hmm. McDonald's Monopoly fraud story. Uh, it was in what he was reading. And uh, now it has been optioned by Hollywood by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and the writers of Deadpool. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so this article, it appeared um, in the Daily Beast, and if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it because it's a it's a great article. It's it's like mind-blowing and entertaining and shocking, and as I was reading it, my immediate thought was like, oh boy, this would make a great movie, and literally like less than a week later, 
here we are. It's officially being made a movie. Um, apparently Fox won a wait, big wait, wait. Bi- When you were thinking about that, when you were imagining this would make a great movie, were you like a great, this would make a great movie written by the Deadpool guys, directed by Ben Affleck, starring Matt Damon? Absolutely not. Um, so, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to see this movie, but I don't know if this is the right team for this. Like, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this would be an amazing Martin Scorsese movie because it's it's pretty much the Wolf of Wall Street, but with McDonald's monopoly. And, you know, obviously Martin Scorsese is very busy doing a million other things. So that probably wasn't going to happen. But yeah, so, you know, Matt Damon is going to star in it. Ben Affleck is going to direct it. And the writers of Deadpool are writing it. And, you know, I won't recap the story because it's very complicated, but it basically boils down to. Uh, the guy who is in charge of security for the McDonald's Monopoly game pieces literally had this uh, multiple year scam where he would steal winning pieces for, you know, for the money, not, you know, not, not the free burgers, but the money winning pieces. And he would, you know, have a deal with his friends and family where they would turn it in for the winnings and then they would split the winnings with him. And he did this for many, many years before the FBI basically caught him. And, you know, it's a great story. It, it will make a great movie, I think, but I don't know how I feel about this team behind it. You know, I don't dislike Ben Affleck as a director. I like some of his movies. I thought, you know, I thought Gone Baby Gone was really good. I liked The Town, but it's a, it's a weird team. It, 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 I don't know how it's going to turn out. You know, I I really like Ben Affleck as a director, and I think he is better when he's directing and he's not in the movie. Um, when he's focusing all his attention on, you know, trying to bring the story to life and not also balancing that with like him having to, you know, emote on screen and, uh, you know, do dual dual duties. I think not many people can can juggle that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually as someone from Boston, someone that uh, loved, you know, Goodwill Hunting back in the day, I'm I'm kind of happy to see him and him and Matt reteam again in some way the writers of deadpool you know i'm not the biggest fan of deadpool but those guys are talented and funny and i've read some of their work that hasn't been made and uh i don't know it'd be interesting to see them work in this kind of world which uh, i'm imagining this movie is going to be as far away from deadpool and you know zombie land as it possibly could be uh ben do you have any thoughts on this uh, I am very much aligned with Chris in terms of my opinion on this. I have this story bookmarked because I've been excited to read it all week and just have not had a chance to to dig into that full article. So I'm looking forward to checking that out sometime this weekend. Hmm. Okay, uh, let's move on to this new feature that Netflix is releasing called Calibrated Mode. Ben, you wrote an article on the site explaining what this is. How is it going to change our Netflix? Tell us right now. Yeah, so it's actually just it's more like Sony is releasing it. So Sony has teamed up with Netflix to for, to release a new mode called Netflix Calibrated Mode that is going to be available on their high-end new TVs. So they have this this series called a Master Series of TVs that are like OLEDs and LCD TVs that are not out yet but that are coming out this fall. And uh, I'll read a quote from the Hollywood Reporter here. They said, "With this new mode, the menu setting effectively takes picture information that might be used in a grading suite with a professional reference monitor and applies it to the display of the program with the goal of allowing Netflix viewers to get accurate color and contrast, including when they are viewing content in 4K resolution or high dynamic range, HDR. Uh, This feature developed by Sony Picture Engineers with Netflix Color Scientists only works for Netflix content, at least in today's announced models. So 
um, basically what this means is that this this mode is supposed to make all of the uh, settings look identical to the way that they look on very, very expensive uh, pro-grade monitors that that filmmakers use on Hollywood sets and and in post-production houses to uh, to actually, you know, take a look and make sure that the, the darks are as dark as they're supposed to be and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, all that sounds pretty great. Uh, a Gizmodo reporter, though, was actually on hand at this big New York City event where this announcement was made and they unveiled the, the new TVs and showed off all the stuff. And they said that it actually things might not be quite as great as they seem here because oh, it might be pro- some kind of gimmick. Well, a, a little bit. You know, like the pro grade monitors that you know are used in Hollywood actually cost like thirty thousand dollars, and these TVs are not going to cost nearly as much as that. They're probably going to go for you know somewhere between three and five thousand dollars. The pricing has not been announced yet, but even on the high end, that's probably as as you know as high as they would top out. Um, and the showrunner of Lost in Space, the Netflix show, you know, he said on stage that he couldn't tell the difference between the quality of, you know, these pro-grade $30,000 monitors and this new consumer model that's going to be coming out soon. So, I mean, it, there is the chance that it actually is, you know, the difference is so small that you can't tell a difference. But uh, that would be very, very impressive, especially considering the price difference there. And also, apparently, it, it's kind of difficult to find the actual uh, I'll read a quote from Gizmodo they said that the new Netflix calibrated mode only works with the Netflix app on the Sony Master Series TV so set top boxes don't get the privilege once you're in the app you have to navigate to the TV settings and then toggle on to the new picture mode which is also just a baseline setting for all Netflix content that means if you're watching a Netflix original like altered carbon the picture mode isn't tuned specifically for that specific content Netflix calibrated mode is a baseline for all of Netflix content so it's seems like this is sort of like a one-size-fits-all approach and it, it's actually going to require some more tweaking if you are you know the kind of customer and, and movie watcher or tv watcher who cares a lot about presentation which it sort of seems like that's who they're gearing this feature toward so it's basically like you still have to customize it to whatever show or movie you're watching in order to really get the full experience here this is so weird because, like, why is it only working with Netflix content? And, you know, if if the filmmakers aren't helping decide the, you know, the settings, like you said, it's going to be for, for varied results. You're, you know, uh, watching animated stuff on Netflix is not going to be the same as watching a horror film on Netflix. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. That's just so strange. Like, you, you'd think if they were going to introduce a feature like this, it would be something... Like, uh, I remember on DVDs, I don't think they do it anymore. Maybe Chris can correct me if I'm wrong, but some DVDs had like this THX uh, certification where you could go in and the filmmakers involved actually would put the settings. You could change your TV settings to perfectly fit up with what their view of the movie is so you could watch it in that way. Chris, do they still do that sometimes? No, they do not. That's not a, um, I mean like criterion will be super, like the criterion releases are supervised by the director. So there, there is yeah. that, but yeah. But even those, like you had to spend 20 minutes setting up these settings. Like if there was something like what I thought this Netflix thing was going to be, where it automatically changed the settings on your TV per the content you're watching it to be the optimal viewing According to the filmmakers, that would have been incredible. This to yeah. me does not sound as incredible. Chris, you watch, you know, a lot of streaming and physical media. Uh, what do you think? 
uh, I mean, I don't want to be too dismissive, but this sounds like a, I don't want to say scam, but it sounds like a gimmick just to bilk people out of their hard earned money. And I feel like the, the, the common viewer isn't really going to notice a difference, but I could be wrong. Uh, we have one last final story before we get to our future presentation, and that is that Sony is expanding their Spider-Verse, and they've hired a writer for their Craving, Craven the Hunter movie. Uh, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Um, yes, yeah, so much like Venom, Craven the Hunter is a Spider-Man villain, and now he's getting his own movie uh, as part of Sony's uh, confusing Spider-Verse, which is separate from, you know, the MCU Spider-Man with Tom Holland, but it also has its own uh, spider characters. And, and, and it's also separate from the, uh, what was that, Enter the Spider-Verse animated series or animated movie? I, it's hard to tell at this point. I, they're, they're all, they're all labeled Spider-Verse, but you know, that Enter the Spider-Verse movie is set in a completely different dimension. So (laughs) that doesn't really fit with this. I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're doing over there, but they're doing something and they're making a Craven movie and they've hired Richard Wink who wrote um, Equalizer 2 to write (laughs) the script. So they're hiring some quality people. I mean, people have been craving the craving the movie. No, okay. Uh, I don't know who, who who even wants this movie. Like, I mean, I get Venom. I get you know Venom was a popular character in the comic books, and like he even had his own kind of uh, series that was very uh, well selling at some point. I think maybe in the nineties, early two thousand. Uh, but I I don't know anybody that you know walks around with Craven the Hunter on their t-shirt. Like, is there anybody uh, d- dying to, to, to see this story on the big screen? I don't know what you're talking about, Peter. My entire closet is full of Craven the Hunter t-shirts. So. <laughs> no, uh, I, I remember this character from the Spider-Man animated series in the 1990s, and I always thought he was, like, one of the worst villains on that show, and I, I have not really read a, a lot of Spider-Man in recent years, the comics in recent years, so I don't know if maybe, you know, Jacob is always talking about, um, when he's on, talking about, like, a you know, um, characters that have gotten revamped in recent years and like, you know, given a whole new uh, lease on life and, and you know, different uh, creative people have come in and sort of uh, reconceptualized a lot of these characters. I'm not sure if anything like that has happened with Craven. If if there has been, uh, maybe people can write us in and write in and let us know. But um, and maybe there might be something more to him than uh, than appears, you know, than, than initially appears. But, yeah, this seems like s- such a strange project to me. If I was a conspiracy theorist, you know, if I had a YouTube channel uh, called Info or Movie Wars or whatever, I don't know, uh, you know, I might theorize that Sony is creating all these Spider-Verse movies in an attempt uh, to make to try to get more money from Marvel and Disney from hurting their brand, potentially hurting their brand and Marvel and Disney being like, okay, all right, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pay some outrageous amount to buy back the rights to the spider verse from you guys. So you're this conspiracy th- that you I mean, don't I, really believe, but one that that you're putting forward anyway here in a joking manner yes. is that they're purposefully making terrible decisions and and thereby <laughs> making awful movies just to play the long game and get more money. Is that right? I mean, it is all about the money. Ben. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, right? Like it makes okay. sense. All right. right? 
<laughs> okay, it doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, uh, Ben, I'm going to leave you here because you have not watched Better Call, uh, Better Call Saul. Uh, so where can people find more of your work online? You can find me at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Okay, now for our feature presentation, Better Call Saul Season 4 starts next week, and... Chris has seen the first few episodes. We're not going to spoil anything for the show, so don't you worry. But he has written a review on the site, which I'll link in the show notes. And uh, Chris, I wanted to to hear your your broad, overarching thoughts of what you've seen in this new season. You know, obviously no spoilers, but uh, how does this compare? And also, what do you, what do you think of the show? Um, so I know this is a controversial opinion for some people, but, uh, I, I love better call Saul so much that I actually think it's surpassed breaking bad. I think it's a better show than breaking bad. Um, I don't think breaking bad is bad. Of course, breaking bad is a great show, but this show has sort of like evolved into something completely different. I mean, even when they first announced this show, I was like, "Ugh, what a stupid idea, but it actually has turned out to be just this really intelligent, really, uh, emotional, um, surprising series. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be like a comedy and it, you know, even though it has comedic elements, it's turned into like, you know, a very serious sort of show. And I, I love it. Um, yeah. let, let me interject here for a second. I know this opinion is controversial. I, I, because I know because it's also my opinion. I've said this to many people and many people that gave up on better call Saul in like the first season, like they give me a look of like, that can't be the case like you're insane but uh but uh you know even though better call Saul season one was good it got better over the subsequent seasons like last season was like had many moments that were on par or better than uh breaking bad yeah i i thought i thought last season was probably the best season yet season three is the best season yet and this season i've only seen the first few episodes of season four but it's off to a great start um you know the show as it goes along its very nature is about just things falling apart because at the at the start of the season we meet you know jimmy mcgill who's the character who will eventually become saul goodman the sleazy lawyer from breaking bad and when the show starts, Jimmy is a, you know, he's a likable guy. I mean, he does bad things, but you're rooting for him because he's, you can see he wants to do the right thing. And season by season, he gets closer and closer to becoming Saul Goodman. And this season is probably like the closest he's ever been yet. Like pretty much, I'm pretty sure by the time this season ends, he's just going to be full on Saul Goodman because, you know, at the start of the season, without giving away spoilers, you just see how you know how far gone he is as a character. He's he's no longer really even concerned with trying to do the right thing anymore. He's pretty much all in on on being a criminal. So um, uh, you know, uh, again, I don't want to give away spoilers, but Bob Odenkirk continues to be great. Everyone on the show is phenomenal. Um, Rhea Seahorn, who plays Kim Wexler, is my favorite. Um, that's my favorite character in the show. My favorite performance in the show, and she is. Uh, as phenomenal as usual. Um, I, I was going to ask you, you know, as the series goes along, I almost feel that the creators are kind of throwing us more connections to Breaking Bad and more Easter eggs and characters and such. And it almost seems, honestly, it's probably the, the thing I don't like about the show the most because it almost seems like a desperate play to uh, try to win over some of those Breaking Bad fans that have not kind of given the show uh, a chance they're trying to get those uh, viewers uh, I'm wondering like you know how is 
how does this season compare? Like, is it uh, filled with those kind of nods and references or? I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm right there with you. Every time there's a new season of this show, almost all the press surrounding it is how many Breaking Bad connections are going to be in this season. And it drives me nuts because, again, I love Breaking Bad, but the sooner this show catches up with Breaking Bad, the sooner it's going to end. And I'm in no rush to see it end. I'm, I want it to last as long as it can. That said, there are plenty of Breaking Bad stuff uh, this season. I, you know, Again, I'm not going to give anything away, but there, yeah. there's at least one character from Breaking Bad who shows up this season. It's not Walter White. It's not Jesse Pinkman. Um, Vince Gilligan, the creator of the show, has already said neither of those characters is showing up this season. So don't be looking out for them. But you will see other Breaking Bad characters this season. You you did say that like when it catches up to the events of Breaking Bad that this show will come to an end. Uh, do you honestly believe that, or do you think there's a way that you could continue the show that we could do the time jump to Jimmy at the Cinnabon? And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, and there's there's also a way when I when I saw um the Better Call Saul uh, Comic Con panel, they were talking about you know there's always a way to keep the show sort of running concurrently with Breaking Bad, like so basically future seasons could show us stuff that ha- that's happening during Breaking Bad that we didn't actually see, so they could always do that. And yes, as you mentioned, every season of the show, it kicks off with a flash forward showing um, Jimmy slash Saul in his new life. At the end of Breaking Bad, he basically went on the run because he was about to get killed. And he's relocated to, um, uh, he's, he's now working as a manager of a Cinnabon, and he, he's using the name Gene. So... Uh, we don't know what's going on with that. So, yeah, they could, in theory, you know, go further and explore that. So, yeah, I guess we'll see. And, and I think we all take it for granted that by the time we meet uh, Saul Goodman in better uh, in, in Breaking Bad, that maybe his relationship with uh, Kim has like disintegrated and all that, you know, is behind him. But we don't know. Maybe all that was ongoing. And like that, you know, we only saw a slice of Saul Goodman's life during Breaking Bad. Maybe, you know, we're not we just weren't privy to what was going on during those moments. So that that could be a cool season in itself, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We never really saw Saul Goodman outside of his office, really. We only ever saw him on his office in Breaking Bad. So he did have a whole other life we never got to see on that show. So yeah, there is definitely room there. So uh, maybe that is what they'll eventually do. You can read Chris's piece. Better Call Saul is better and more gut-wrenching than ever in season four on social.com. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, Chris, when does this uh, show premiere? Uh, It premieres Monday, August 6th on AMC. Chris, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, and uh, please, as always, go give us a five-star review on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. We will see you on Monday.